our Bible reading from Matthew 4. Hey everyone, um, it's great to be here this morning, um, bringing the Bible reading. Uh, today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 22. And if you don't have a paper copy of a Bible and would like one, then please raise your hand and one of our host team will get to you with that. And before we begin, let me pray. Dear gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the privilege it is to um, to read it together. Lord, I pray that you would please um, help us, give us soft hearts, Lord, um, and help us to see what it looks like to follow Jesus as we um, begin this series looking at what he said and what he taught and who he is. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness has seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is God's word. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here at CPE. So good to be here and a special warm welcome to you if you are new or visiting with us. Uh, I'm really excited to be getting into this series as well, as Iggy said this morning, uh, because I think discipleship is just so important. It's so important, and it's so much a part of our world as well. You know, part of the reason I got you guys uh, discussing and thinking about social media influences and learning about things online is that, you know, we really do live in the age of the social media influencer, don't we? We can literally learn anything from an influencer these days. It's, thought to be somewhere around 500,000 plus influencers online these days. Uh, hard to define exactly uh, what makes you an influencer or not, but you just think about the numbers of that and that you can literally learn anything online. You can literally learn anything. You can get life advice from someone sitting in the front seat of their car. You know what I mean? Like, like this is the kind of world that we live in. In fact, if you're, you know, probably under 30 here today, you probably can't even remember a time where you couldn't learn anything you could possibly want to learn from an eight-minute video uh, tutorial there on YouTube. You know, it's so funny, isn't it? If you're online, if you're learning stuff, it does feel like you could solve the world's problems in a series of 30-second Instagram reels, 
whether it's how to navigate an existential crisis because of a really bad hair day, whether it's how to get your toddler off potato chips and snacking on quinoa instead, or how this workout is going to make your fat cry tears. See, I, that used to be called sweating, I believe. It's, anyway, this is this kind of social media world we live in. It's a kind of titles and things that you can learn online these days. Uh, I don't know about the many variety of things that you have been learning about online. All you need to do is to follow me by liking and subscribing. Get more content on why charcoal toothpaste will be the solution to your happiness. I love just seeing the dentist squirming at that. See, we live in the age of the influencer, don't we? We're learning, growing, under the very careful instruction of, uh, of probably an average, above-average-looking 25-year-old, say, with an iPhone and a ring light. That's the world we live in today, isn't it? There is another word for that, of course. The Bible would simply call that discipleship. Discipleship. You see, I think what this whole social media influencer craze really shows us is that we are all designed to follow. We are all designed to be disciples. That's just a part of what it means to be human. You're always being modeled and shaped and your life is being influenced by other people. The only question is, who are you following? What are you learning from them? You see, this series is going to be all about discipleship, right? We're going to be sitting under the great teacher, Jesus Christ himself, and what he says about following him. Now, we're going to get to that as we look at Matthew. Uh, We're going to roughly get from Matthew chapter 4 to chapter 10 by the end of our series. And what we see here in Matthew chapter 4 and what Abby read out for us earlier is this is really the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Right? So we're getting there right at the start. We've kind of heard about Jesus' birth story and his temptation in the wilderness. And then he begins his ministry right here, Matthew chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles there, come down with me down to chapter 4, verse 12. Okay? So it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, an interesting thing happens. Uh, Jesus immediately begins his ministry. He kind of heads out into the middle of nowhere, really, and he starts preaching his gospel. He's preaching his message. He begins his ministry by preaching and declaring what it is that he is here to do. What he says here is about being a great light. A great light in the darkness, in the shadow of death, because a light has dawned. There's a light of hope in a dark land. See, the world we live in is a dark place, and I don't reckon actually I really need to convince you of that, uh, whether it's disease or sickness or disaster. There's many, many reasons. You've just got to watch the news for about five seconds to realize just how broken our world is. And it's not just the world out there and the big things that happen. Truthfully, it's in our lives too, isn't it? The broken relationships, the friendship that's gone sour, the struggles with work or 
study, our mental health. Jesus begins his ministry saying he is a great light shining into a dark, dark world. As a, twice in my life, uh, I've gone for a climb, hike uh, up a mountain that started uh, in the early hours of the morning, and one of the best things that you can do in your life, uh, you get up to the summit by sunrise. And one of the reasons it's so fantastic is like you spend all this time kind of, you're hiking through the darkness, really, you know, head torch on, it's cold, it's damp, and you get up to the top and you just see the sun as it crests over the horizon. And the light, as it starts to just highlight just all the, the land that was around you, which was previously just darkness, you didn't really could see in anything really um, out there, but then the sun, the, the beams just start to light it up. And then the amazing warmth of the sun's rays as, as the, the world starts warming up. It's an amazing thing, I highly recommend it. But Jesus announces his ministry as a dawning of light. A dawning of light over a land that lives under the shadow of death. Now, I don't think he's just talking about that particular land there. He talks about being the space, the, the world of the Gentiles, right? This is the, the, the land of the nations. It's, a hope, a, it's, it's hope in a dark and broken world. A world that desperately needs hope. Indeed, by the end of the gospel, Jesus himself enters into the darkness of darknesses. He dies a death that is deserved of all of us, triumphs over it, and in doing so, opens the path to life, to this world under the shadow of death, the ministry of hope. But Jesus doesn't just preach hope, he comes with this message as well. Uh, we'll get to that. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, repent is a very Christian term. It's the idea of a complete change in direction. Uh, today, you might, uh, in Australia particularly, you might call it a chucking a yui. Chucking a yui, or in uh, some parts of Australia, they call it chucking a banger. Kind of, you know, you can go and think about how, why that is. Uh, the reason is that he says, we need to repent, we need to change direction, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But what is this kingdom? What is this kingdom of heaven? I reckon Christians talk about this, use this phraseology all the time, right? We're often talking about the kingdom, living for the kingdom, serving the kingdom. But what actually is the kingdom? I'm going to give you 30 seconds to chat to the person next to you. What do you think is the kingdom? Okay? Have a chat to the person next to you while I have a little sit. pull you up there, realizing that there's, there's nowhere near enough time to unpack a big theological concept. 
Now, we kind of love using, you know, the terminology of the kingdom. It's a good shorthand phrase for things, but sometimes it's just easy to forget even, well, actually, what is behind that whole idea of God's kingdom? Well, the Jewish people knew exactly what it was. I don't think they were confused. I think we get confused as we haven't really spent enough time in the Scriptures. You see, the kingdom of heaven was all about God's rule, that there is a time that has been prophesied by the prophets in the Old Testament, that there was going to be a time where God would reign over the world and everything would be set right, a time when righteousness and peace and justice would reign, evil would be banished forever, right? It's a state of affairs which God rules and which everything underneath him is set right by that rule. It's a declaration that Jesus says, hey, this kingdom is near. The declaration that this new era that is dawning, in which the curse of sin and brokenness over our world will end. It's not just an abstract philosophy. It's not just some future state that you're hoping for down the track. It is saying Jesus is there. He is standing there. He is saying that this is within arm's reach. Now, Jesus can say that because it is he himself... He is the divine presence. He is the king of that kingdom who is going to bring that to pass. And he's inviting people into his kingdom. Now, you actually get a little snapshot of this a few verses later on because Jesus gives you just a little peer into the picture of his kingdom. Right? Come down with me down to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region all across the Jordan followed him. Now, it seems really easy to kind of get a bit hung up on all the miraculous nature of what Jesus is doing here. But, you know, that's kind of the point. See, Jesus is giving you a snapshot into the kingdom that will reign. It's going to reign over the broken, fallen world in which we're in. That sickness and disease will be healed. Those with chronic illness will find restoration and relief. Even those who are spiritually oppressed will be freed. It's a bit like kind of just getting that little snapshot of the end of the movie right at the start, right? It's like peering through a little crack in the wall and getting to see what's on the other side, the picture of the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. You see, we kind of live in a world with, uh, with a lot of brokenness, a lot of disease and sickness, I'm a pastor now, but uh, I worked uh, in, in medicine as a doctor for quite a while, and I, I remember working on some of the cancer wards down there, and uh, you'd work really, really hard, you want to see these patients, some of them would get better, some of them would die, but we used to have this saying on the cancer wards there that our whole aim there, the goal, a win for the cancer ward, is that your patients die of something else. That was the whole goal of cancer treatment, to get them well enough so that they live long enough and eventually die of something else non-cancer related. That's kind of the, the great goal of, of cancer medicine. So it keeps your feet on the ground as a doctor. That all the medicine, the study, the work, the, the, the technology can just delay death until people die of something else. 
See, friends, when Jesus displays the power of heaven, he is saying that sickness and disease will not have the last say. And so when Jesus comes and he stands there as the king of the kingdom, declaring the news of the kingdom and displaying the hope of the kingdom, that is what he's displaying. Something that's not from this earth that only the power of God can do in a fallen and broken world. So friends, you have this amazing picture of the kingdom, the kingdom that of, of hope and healing and restoration. What actually happens next? What actually happens next? Well, uh, Jesus, uh, verse 18, sorry, G- verse 18. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I'm not sure I really kind of expected this. Like, Jesus displays all this immense power, but the thing that he kind of uh, uh, does as he begins his ministry, he starts calling disciples, calling people to follow him. See, it was very compelling. It was clear that he was very, very powerful and that even just his word was enough to convince these fishermen to leave livelihood, uh, even leaving family to come and follow him. But what I find really striking about this is that Jesus himself, as powerful as he is, from the beginning, he knows that he needs to call people to follow him. That is, when Jesus is gone, right, and remember, his ministry is going to involve dying, He's going to need others to carry on the message and the ministry after him. And so from the get-go, he knows this and he calls his first disciples. We're going to spend three of the next years just following him, doing ministry alongside him, learning from him, sitting under his teaching. And eventually, these are the 12 guys who go off to go and launch off the early church and the mission. And the fact that we can sit here in Brisbane, 2024, and we are at the end of a long line of disciples who have made disciples, who have made disciples, and of which we are still a part of that mission. See, Jesus knows that his message dies after a generation without those who will follow him and will carry on the message. And so he calls these first 12 disciples to follow him, to carry on his mission. And really, that's what our whole series is going to be about. What it means to be a disciple what it means to follow Jesus, to carry on the mission that he started. So we're going to be learning a bunch of things. I'll give you a quick snapshot here about a disciple. What is a disciple? One that learns from Jesus, one that imitates him, one that lives with commitment and dedication to him, has a close mentoring type relationship with him, one that derives their mission and their purpose from him. Right? Learn from Jesus, become like him, do as Jesus did. This, friends, is the call to discipleship. And as we continue on in our series over the next eight weeks, we're going to be unpacking more of what it means when Jesus says, follow me. 
See, it's so much more than just kind of liking and subscribing to a video. It's much more rich. It's much more wholehearted. It's much more kind of dominating in terms of our life. See, following Jesus will involve sacrifice and dedication to him. And for them, they left everything to come and follow Jesus. And friends, see, I think when we think about disciples, we think about sacrifice, we think about what's going on, what's, what, what's going to be asked of us. I think some of us are going to be a little hesitant, to be honest, aren't we? When we think about just our life and the picture of our life, the never-ending stream of responsibilities, the next exam, the next study thing we've got to get onto, uh, all the big adulting decisions we've got to make, many of us feel like we're just already just drowning, just trying to cope with life. See, that's life in our broken world, and no 60-second Instagram reels is going to fix up our lives. So why would I bother taking on something as demanding as what Jesus is going to present to us over the next eight weeks? Well, I'll return to the point that the reason that we struggle is because we live in this broken world. We'll never get on top of things. We'll never kind of be able to go, yeah, there's going to be a point in life where just everything's going to be perfect. That time will never come, friends. That time will never come. But amidst the struggles and the uncertainties and the challenges of our lives in this broken world, the kingdom bursts onto the scene and Jesus just shines as this radiant hope of of redemption and restoration, like those beams of light from the sun shining across the darkness of our world. This is a reality that's grounded in Christ. This is the story that's been unfolding across the pages of Scripture from the first chapter in Genesis, declaring that there will come a time, there will be a king who will come and heal the world and the wounds and, the, and, 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 and all the, the things that is wrong with our world. See, friends, the simple message of Matthew 4 is repent and follow Jesus. It's not to wait till life's all sorted and fixed up. It's not to wait until uh, maybe the world's in a better place. Jesus calls us to discipleship and to embrace the gospel and to embrace that it's the gospel that's going to bring the transformative power to our world and to our lives. See, it's the gospel that's the beacon of hope that is radiating those light rays into our dark, dark world. It's a call to live out those uh, kingdom values as Jesus will proclaim about justice and humility and compassion. It's about hope that brings about change as we go to fish for people one person at a time. You know, I really love just reading about people's testimonies. You know, people who've found Jesus and found something just so utterly compelling that, that they couldn't but follow him. You know, a few months ago, uh, I read about the story of the conversion of the famous new atheist, Ian Hersey Ali. Right, she became one of the world's most famous atheists. Uh, you may have never heard of her, but uh, if you kind of think about Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and, and the whole big atheist movement, and, and she was kind of really held up because, you know, she's not white, she's not a man. In fact, she converted out of, out of Islam to, to the new atheist movement, and, and so, you know, she became a best-selling author, very well-known um, around the world. But a few months ago, she revealed that she's since converted to Christianity. Here's a few things that she had to say about this, and this is 
part of her journey. If we can read this. She says this, I have also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable. Indeed, very nearly self-destructive. Atheism failed to answer a simple question, what is the meaning and purpose of life? When I met Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, I think I jumped probably too soon on that atheist bandwagon and accepted too quickly the proposition that all religions are the same and equally bad and equally dark. Now, I think it would be intellectually dishonest of me if I said I'm still radically atheist. I'm not. Now, she goes on to explain how she had an encounter with someone who really actually forced her to think harder about her beliefs in God, and she said this. So she said, I explained to her why I didn't believe in God, and more than that, why I actually hated God. And then she asked me to design my own God, and she said, if you had the power to make your own God, what would you do? And as I was going on, I thought, this is actually a description of Jesus Christ and Christianity at its best. And so instead of inventing yet another God, I started diving into that story. And so far, I like this story as I explore it. The more I look at it, the more I... I don't want to say I'm fulfilled, but I no longer have this need, this void. I feel like I'm going somewhere. There are standards that I have to live by that are quite high, and that's daunting. But these are standards I'd rather aspire to, even if I fail. And it's a story I like. This is a story that says human life is worth living because it's in the image of God. That much, that's much, much more appealing to me than the story of there is nothing here. You have no more value than mold, and that's atheism. And I think if you tell people they have no more value than mold, then what's the point? See, I was just blown away by this. Um, I just think it's amazing that here's someone who's, who has scaled the heights of atheism, philosophy, and, and been held up on the world stage. And all she saw was darkness in that. There was no hope, no, nothing there. And so she found Jesus instead. And this is clearly someone who's very early on in her own discipleship journey and learning about what that means and how to follow Jesus. But that's someone who I see has discovered the light that Christ offers into our dark dark world. So church, I think our, our, our takeaway from this is to cling to the gospel, cling to it boldly, because this is, it offers something unique into our world that no, the other philosophies of our world cannot satisfy. It heralds that, that, that God has triumphed, grace over sin, light over darkness, life over death. The gospel that is the eternal source of our hope if we, as we navigate the struggles and challenges of our world. See, church, we actually live on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, where Jesus has already triumphed over sin and death. See, Jesus preached repentance. He preached the kingdom. And he preached, follow me. And you can then go and take this message that I have brought into this world and you can continue to beam it into all the dark nooks and crevices of our world around us. Friends, that's the call to discipleship. Well, friends, in a moment, we are going to actually take in communion together. In that moment, we actually remember Jesus' death and resurrection for us, the way that he, uh, through that, triumphs over sin and death for us. And if you don't have one of these little things, um, stick your hand up. Uh, there's a bit of juice and bread in there. 
But when Jesus preached repentance, he preached turning away from our sin and turning towards the one who can save us. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going 